not too long ago, I saw a documentary on a rare disease called the Prader-Willi Syndrome. Prader-Willi Syndrome is a genetic disorder of the 15th chromosome. Uh, And individuals with this disorder have an unsuppressed appetite for food. Prader-Willi syndrome is not a physical disease. It is a mental disease, and it is deadly. Let's uh, uh, describe it briefly. Um, Left to themselves, uh, victims of Prader-Willi syndrome will feed and feed themselves to death. Uh, Left with enough food, uh, Prader-Willi children uh, will eat and eat until they choke or until they rupture internally and bleed to death. Uh, This documentary I saw uh, interviewed parents of a nine-year-old Prader-Willi victim. And these parents showed how they had to put... uh, floor to uh, ceiling uh, iron bars uh, around the entryways into the kitchen and then padlock those iron bars to uh, keep their son out of the kitchen. And uh, as the camera panned around the kitchen, uh, there was that young son with his face pressed up against the iron bars, reaching in and screaming angrily at his parents for locking him out of the kitchen. And the parents apologize for the screaming and explain that their son still doesn't understand that the gates are saving his life. Uh, Prader-Willi syndrome is extremely rare in a genetic sense, but in a spiritual sense, we all have it. I have Prader-Willi syndrome spiritually, and so do you. On some level, we all have a syndrome where we have dangerous desires. We have appetites that, given free reign, will control us and destroy us. The Tenth Commandment speaks to the nature and cure of our spiritual Prader-Willi syndrome. Uh, the Tenth Commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20. Would you turn there uh, in your Bibles? And this is on page 54 if you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield. Uh, the Tenth Commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, if this command were written today, uh, the command would read, You should not covet, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's job, your neighbor's friends, your neighbor's car, or anything else your neighbor has. The tenth commandment is, You shall not covet. And just like the Prader-Willi syndrome, coveting is a disease. And God puts up the Tenth Commandment uh, out of his love for his people. God puts up the Tenth Commandment like a loving father uh, puts up iron bars around the kitchen for a Prader-Willi child victim. And let's talk now about this disease of coveting under two topics. First, let's talk about the nature of coveting. And then secondly, let's talk about the cure for coveting. 
Let's start with talking about the nature of the coveting disease. The first note on the nature of coveting is that coveting is an internal disease. Notice that by nature, coveting is internal. It's a disease of the mind and the heart. And it's this mental nature of coveting that sets it apart from the other horizontal commands, the six other, uh, the five other horizontal commands that we've been studying in God's roadmap for relationships. The top four Ten Commandments are the rules of the road for loving God. The bottom six commandments are God's rules of the road for loving people. And uh, the Tenth Commandment is unique. It's unique as the only one of the six horizontal commands that is explicitly mental and attitudinal in nature. In other words, coveting is the only one of the uh, six horizontal commands where a violator cannot be captured on video. Uh, you can capture on video someone in the act of dishonoring their parents or uh, in the act of murder or adultery or theft or lying. But you can't really use a video camera to catch someone in the act of coveting because coveting is an internal mindset that is hidden from camera view. Uh, if you are a liar, uh, people will eventually wise up to you and you'll be caught. But, you know, you could be a covetous person your whole life and it is possible that no one will ever know. Coveting is an, is an insatiable hunger for more. But note that by nature, coveting is not just wanting more money or more material things. Coveting involves people, uh, which leads to the, the next note about the nature of coveting. Coveting is an interpersonal disease. The language of the Tenth Commandment stresses this interpersonal dimension. A coveting is comparative in nature. Coveting is lusting after what my neighbor has. Coveting is wanting to take what my neighbor has so that I have more than my neighbor. Covening is an internal desire that is negatively focused on other people and what they have and what they have that I want. Covening is this toxic blend of greed, discontent, selfishness, and especially jealousy. And then notice that there's one more interpersonal element to the Tenth Commandment. Uh, notice that it's possible to covet not only material things like houses, donkeys, and cars. It is also possible to have an insatiable appetite for people uh, like spouses and servants. Coveting is not just a hunger for more stuff. It is an interpersonal appetite. It's a ravenous hunger for Love and approval from certain people. It is an insatiable appetite for more and more attention and affirmation and affection from certain people. And hopefully you're sensing uh, some of the darkness in coveting because it's internal. The evil of coveting is often hidden from uh, us in a way that uh, uh, makes it something that we don't often think about. But the coveting disease is 
in ugly, ugly pride and jealousy and extreme self-centeredness. And God puts up these iron bars of this Tenth Commandment against coveting because it is poisonous to our souls and murderous to all our relationships. Which is the next item to note about the nature of coveting. And for this item, I need to go back and retract something uh, that I just said. I said that you could be a covetous person your whole life and it's possible that no one will know. In a sense, That is not true. By its nature, coveting is a sin that nobody knows about except you and one other person. And that's God. By nature, coveting is a theological disease. Coveting is a theological disease because more than any of the other uh, six horizontal commandments, coveting is between me and God. It's a disease that directly infects my relationship with God. If I have a hunger for more and more stuff, it's a problem that maybe other people will never know about. But this kind of coveting always is a problem between me and God. By its very nature, coveting is a theological disease that brings separation between me and God. And so God treats it as a personal issue between me and him. And I'd like to show you an interesting example of how God treats coveting as a personal issue. Uh, The example comes in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And uh, it's a story about Jesus and a wealthy ruler. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, uh, this uh, well-to-do fellow comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Now, Jesus jumps on that first word, good. And Jesus says, it's interesting that you call me good, because in our first century uh, terminology, uh, saying that I'm good is the same as saying that I am God. Uh, This is an important part of the story. Uh, Today, we use the word good to just mean above average. But uh, the meaning of this first century word translated good was used in reference to God and meant much more than just above average. Uh, A proper translation, a better translation of this ruler's address to Jesus would be perfect teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, And in verse 19, Jesus uh, calls attention to this fact by saying uh, to him that by calling me perfect teacher, uh, you correctly understand that you are talking to me, Jesus. You're talking to God. Uh, And with this established, Jesus goes on to verse 20 uh, and says to the man, since you're interested in being clean before God, let's look at the horizontal commandments of the Ten Commandments. Uh, This is starting in verse 20. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, said the young man. And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
And when the ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Well, this is an account of a fascinating conversation, a fascinating conversation, not because of what is said, but because of what is not said. Jesus refers to uh, God's roadmap for relationships. When, when, God, uh, when Jesus lists these six uh, horizontal commands, he leaves something out. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. That's commandment number seven. Do not murder. That's commandment number six. Do not steal. That's commandment number eight. Do not give false testimony. That's commandment number nine. Honor your father and mother. That's commandment number five. And then verse 21, the ruler says, I have kept these commandments since I was a boy. And Jesus replies, well, you lack one thing. What is that one thing? The one thing is the thing that Jesus left out. Jesus intentionally left out the tenth commandment. The one thing that separated this man from a close relationship with God was this tenth commandment and his habit of coveting on the inside. Now, why didn't Jesus just come out and say, Duh, buddy, I left out the tenth commandment. It's coveting. That's your problem. Why doesn't Jesus say that directly? Why does he speak in code saying, sell your possessions to the poor? Why does Jesus speak in a way that only the ruler and he, Jesus, know that uh, this is the issue? Well, I think Jesus speaks this way because this is how God always deals with this issue of coveting. If I covet, Jesus isn't going to shout about it from the public uh, uh, marketplace. He's going to whisper it in my ear because coveting is between me and God. If you are living in the kind of coveting uh, and discontent where you are continually hungering for uh, things you don't have, if you listen... You will hear God whispering in a private way. You are coveting. And it hurts me in a personal way. Coveting hurts God because if I have a relationship with God, then I believe that the good things I have in my life are gifts from God, not accidents of blind uh, blind fate or dumb luck. And so if I hunger after things I do not have, I am in effect making a theological statement. I'm saying, God, what you give me is not enough. If I look at my neighbor's stuff and hunger after what my neighbor has, I am saying, God, what you give me is not good enough. Uh, So by nature, this mindset is a theological statement. Whenever I covet something I don't have, I'm making a theological statement that God and what he provides is not good or it's not good enough. And God takes that personally. And that is what I mean when I say that coveting is much more than just an internal and interpersonal disease. It's especially a theological disease. And now, one more thought on the nature of coveting. Coveting is a fatal disease. Coveting kills. By nature, coveting is a deathly dissatisfaction with life. A deathly discontent with what I have in my life. 
a deathly disappointment with the people and the things in, in my life. And it does deathly damage to my relationships with other people and especially my relationship with God. Covening kills the good things that God brings into my life. Covening is this discontent and dissatisfaction that kills the joy that God wants to bring into my life through His indwelling Spirit. And if I'm not careful, coveting will become a habit I live with and I die with. If I'm not careful, coveting will make me one of those people who is never content with life as it is right now. If you are not careful, uh, coveting will make you into that person who is in high school and says, well, I'll be content when I get to college. And then get into college and says, I'll be content when I get a job. And then lands a job and says, I'll be content when I get married. Who then gets married and says, I'll be content when I can uh, buy a house. And then when has a, becomes a homeowner, says, I'll be content when I can have kids in this house. And then has kids and says, I'll be content when the kids leave the house. <laughs> and then says, I'll be content when I can just retire and relax. And then becomes that person who's retired and sits on the front porch sipping lemonade that, do, that doesn't like and says, uh, you know, When life was good, I'll tell you when it was good. It was when I was in high school. (laughs) Just like the Prader-Willie syndrome is is having appetites that uh, can cause a person to feed themselves to death. Coveting kills my soul by turning me into a consumer machine who is always hungering for more and more and never satisfied. Covening is a fatal disease that kills the joy and contentment that God wants for me right now. Not someday, right now. Covening is internal, it's interpersonal, it's theological, and it is a fatal disease. But it is curable. So now let's talk about the cure for covening. The cure for coveting is actually implied in the Hebrew word for covet uh, there in the text of the 10th commandment. The Hebrew word for covet in the 10th commandment is hamad. And uh, it goes, you shall not hamad your neighbor's house. You shall not hamad your neighbor's spouse. A literal translation of the word hamad is delight. You shall not delight in your neighbor's house. You shall not delight in your neighbor's spouse. But here's the interesting fact. Uh, This same Hebrew word, uh, hemad, is used positively when the Bible refers to my own house and my own spouse. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, I'm told that God is pleased when I hamad in my own house. In the biblical book called the Song of Solomon, I'm encouraged to hamad, delight in my own spouse. Hamad is a sin against God when I delight in what I don't have. Hamad is pleasing to God when I delight in what I do have and what God has given. The cure for coveting is delighting in what you have instead of what you don't have. 
The cure for coveting is developing a spirit of thankfulness. The cure for coveting is developing the habit of appreciating the people and things in your life right now. Just as we began uh, reflecting on the nature of the disease called coveting, now let's uh, conclude by reflecting on the nature of the cure called gratitude. Uh, Gratitude is an internal cure. Uh, Just like coveting is a mindset, so is its cure. Gratitude is an attitude of thankfulness, uh, and it's a way of approaching life that the Apostle Paul advocates uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 19, where he says, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that phrase, make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. The idea of making music in your heart is a beautiful expression that describes what it means to be internally filled with gratitude. It comes down to your internal playlist. Uh, We all get to choose the playlist on the iPod of our hearts. And many of us choose the same old versions of I can't get no satisfaction. Uh, We choose songs about how my life is not good enough, it's not perfect, and therefore, uh, until it's perfect, I can't enjoy it. Paul is saying, you get to choose the playlist in your heart. So choose to play songs of praise and thanks to God. Make music in your heart, giving thanks for everything in Christ Jesus. Next, notice that the cure for coveting uh, is gratitude, and gratitude is an interpersonal cure. Uh, Covening is built on desires like jealousy and pride that ruin relationships. A thankful mindset is the opposite and does the opposite. Gratitude is an attitude of appreciation uh, for the people in my life that affirms them and draws them close and builds up the people in my life as I grow in a Christ-like spirit of humility and generosity. And how appropriate on Father's Day that we remember to show appreciation to the people God brings into our lives beginning with our fathers and our mothers and our sons and our daughters and our brothers and our sisters. Now, uh, notice that as the cure for coveting is uh, uh, internal and interpersonal, it is also a theological cure. Approaching life with a thankful spirit is actually the result of correct theology. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, The legalists forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. So what Paul is saying here is profound. Paul is saying that the highest 
possible enjoyment that is uh, offered in this life is reserved for those who believe in God and know the truth about God's identity as the source of all goodness and joy. Gratitude is correct theology. Uh, a lifestyle of applying the truth about God and His character in the midst of the ups and downs of life. And notice that Paul supplies the two elements, components necessary for this correct theology. Knowing the truth about God and believing the truth about God. In the Ten Commandments, God calls me back to believing what I know about God. That God is good even when times are bad. And that God's love never changes, even in the midst of an ever-changing world. When I know and believe the truth about God, I am able to enjoy creation because I know the Creator. Uh, and I am able to enjoy in ways that God only reserves for his children. Now, finally notice that while coveting is fatal, gratitude is a life-giving cure. The more I adopt a lifestyle of thankfulness, the more I experience the joyfulness that brings life to living. Uh, whereas coveting kills contentment, uh, gratitude fosters fulfillment and keeps me in a place where I am enjoying life now, not postponing it to uh, someday that may never come. A corporate uh, motivational speaker was uh, visiting a seaport when he saw a uh, fisherman sitting in his boat in the harbor uh, having lunch with his family. And accustomed to motivating people to uh, financial success, uh, the speaker uh, came to the fisherman and said, uh, why aren't you out fishing? And the fisherman says, well, I've caught enough uh, fish for today. And uh, the motivational speaker says, well, there's still lots of daylight left. Uh, well, why don't you go out and catch some more fish? And the fisherman said, well, why? What would I do with them? And the motivator said, well, you could sell them and earn more money and buy a bigger boat and go deeper and catch more fish and make more money. And soon you'll be able to uh, own other boats. And the fisherman said, and then what would I do? And then the motivational speaker said, why, then you could uh, sit back and relax and just enjoy life. And the fisherman said, well, what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> and the point is, you become amazingly rich whenever you decide to enjoy what you have right now and be thankful for what God has given you right now. Today, you can leave here uh, so much more satisfied with your life than you came in simply by asking God to help you enjoy the good things in your life right now. And as you give thanks for everything in Jesus, you receive the cure for your version of the Prader-Willi Syndrome. When you allow Jesus to empower you with his grateful spirit, you conquer the disease of coveting and you find your way to God's best in life as you follow his roadmap for relationships.